So this is the 20th podcast I've done since I've started this. And when I first started, I said I was going to talk a lot about politics in general and then kind of, you know, and maybe throw in some sports. And there's some sports things that's happened that I'd like to touch on, but the politics has been so deep and, you know, and I, and I also said that it was going to be about a particular time. This is the reason why I'm doing it because of the particular time that we're in. And so I think some people need to understand that there's lessons that need to be learned about the time that we're in a lot. And I try to make some of the correlations, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I do try to make some historical connections and some some logical things so people understand where stuff is coming from. Um, but I want to kind of finish up a little bit about uh, the Baltimore piece uh, in which President Trump jumped on Elijah Cummins. I want to finish that up and then get into another point, and I may get into the other half of the segment with that or whatever. But anyway, the thing I wanted to bring up about Baltimore, and I kind of touched on a little bit about the AIR, the American Institution of Racism that led to one of the oldest cities in America being in the situation that it's in, right? And so Donald Trump Jr. put out a tweet trying to highlight an editorial that the Baltimore Sun had posted, um, which which basically made the case to declare Baltimore a disaster in the federal emergency sense, right? And where they got that idea from was from Donald Trump Sr., Daddy. Daddy said during the campaign that the, the cities in America was in such bad shape, right? And he referred to the infrastructure, like our airports and railroads, as third world countries. He doubled down on that during the inauguration, but he really, he stressed that during the campaign. So one of the ideas he had was to make Baltimore and other American cities federal disaster areas where you could bypass a lot of the bureaucracy that goes into funding federal projects and just get right to work. Uh, I think the sun highlighted a situation in Minnesota where an interstate collapsed. And instead of it taking years to repair, it literally took like 430 some days for that bridge to that interstate to be repaired. Right. So little more than a year. Um, and it was because they declared it an emergency because that over that, that highway needed to be open for people in the Minneapolis, St. Paul municipal area to be able to travel and move around commerce, all that kind of stuff. It was imperative that that had to happen. And so the sun was using that as an example not necessarily doubling down or trying to legitimize what President Trump said about Baltimore because the way he said about Baltimore was not meant to highlight 
something and reestablish a policy he threw out there, it was to insult Elijah Cummings. Let's be clear. It was to diminish the authority of a black man who has authority to do something to him and in, in, for his base, right? Because there are white people that could do something to him like Adam Schiff, like Jerry Nadler. He doesn't, he doesn't call their districts ratting or crime infested. He doesn't talk about them in the same negativity as he talks about Baltimore and Elijah Cummings. There's a reason for that, and that's racism, plain and simple. So I responded to uh, Junior on Twitter, and I basically said, this was one of those bleep or get off the pot moments, right? Uh, or just do what you said, you, you know, this is basically, they said, do what you said you was going to do, President Trump. You said you were going to declare America cities disaster areas. Well, don't just, just highlight Baltimore, do it for all of them because all of them have crime. All of them have these infrastructure problems, right? Do it for everyone. And, and let's rebuild the country, right? But again, if Donald Trump, was really serious about anything concerning being president, people probably wouldn't be talking about trying to impeach him right now because he said a lot of things. And if you go back and just listen, some of the things he said was outrageous, but some of the stuff he said was from a public policy side. Huh? All right. I'd like to see you pull that off. Come on, let's try that. And this was one of them, right? So the Baltimore Sun remembered that and called him out on it. Then the other thing I, I said to Junior was, you might want to tell your brother-in-law to stop being a slumlord in Baltimore. So in 2017, Jared Kushner, his company, was cited for numerous violations, right? And see, and, and he's a Section 8 dude, right? So... Here's this guy, multimillionaire, married into money, but he's benefiting from Section 8. So the government is guaranteeing that he gets his rent paid, right? But the caveat for that is you have to keep up codes and the Section 8 codes from all my friends that have done Section 8 housing, you know, being landlords in, in that relationship. There's constant improvements that you have to do every the 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 hud ben carson's agency right they come up with different you know updates to the regulations for section eight on a very very frequent basis right and if you are going to receive that money if you want to keep getting that money you're going to have to do those updates if they say well you got to have a certain type of piping or you got to have a certain type of insulation or whatever the case may be, you got to do it. You know, if you've got to have low emission appliances, you got to do that or else you're going to be in violation. The violations that they hit Jared Kushner with were very, very severe. Uh, A lot of the quote-unquote deplorable conditions that his father-in-law talks about and tries to embarrass Elijah Cummings with, turns out his son-in-law has those same conditions in the very properties that he owns or his company owns, right? So he's a slumlord. And the ironic thing is most of his properties are not in the actual district, 
That Elijah Cummings represents. He's in that actual one-third that Elijah doesn't represent. Nonetheless, it's in the city of Baltimore. And nonetheless, he's a slumlord. Hmm. So when you want to admonish people, right? If you really are concerned about Baltimore, talking about I'll visit it when I get a chance, dude, you can just hop on a train and you'll be right there in 30 minutes. Not even that long. 15. You're in Baltimore right there. You're right there on Pennsylvania Avenue. Just go down Union Station, catch the train, boom, you're there. You're in Baltimore right there. You know, I, I don't think it took me 30 minutes to fly into BWI and to be in Union Station. I don't, I don't think it took 30 minutes. I don't even think it took 15. I mean, you make stops, so I might have slowed it down. But, yeah. I mean, if you're in Camp David, you're, you're right next to Baltimore. You go to Camp David, just before you go to Camp David, just pop on in. Check on the city, how doing. Surely... I forget Reverend Owen's first name, but out of all those black ministers that he invited to the White House, surely he's got one in Baltimore that gets you in there. Let you look around the place, be seen, shake a few hands, get you out. I mean, Puerto Rico was an effort, and you made it there to toss paper towels. Baltimore's not that much of a stretch. I, Marie won there and back in a minute. That's if you really care. But you can't get political points by caring. According to your calculations, you have to do it by insulting, right? You have to do it by demeaning, right? So I wanted to get those points out because I didn't get those out yesterday because I wanted it to be clear that there is a severe connection. There's a, well, disconnect even with the president criticizing Baltimore and his own family member being a slumlord in that very city, right? I think that 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 needed to be highlighted very clearly, right? And then, um, you know, and there, there's 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 been some takedowns on um, on the president and all this kind of stuff. And there was a serious debate on one of the news channels this morning about the candidates, and I'm sure all of them kind of jumped on a little bit, but should, now the debates are going to happen today and tomorrow in Detroit. Should these uh, candidates over the next two days address Donald Trump and his racist attacks, which have happened really since the last debate, or should they ignore it and just talk about their platform since they have limited time to get their things out of there? So here's the deal. Most of these people that you're going to see over the next two nights, you will never see again <laughs> after this week. Their campaigns are pretty much going to be over. They're not going to qualify for the next set of debates. They're not going to meet the criteria. It's not a knock on them. There's 20 plus people running for president of the United States in one party nomination. People are going to get eliminated. That's how not, and now everybody's going to make it to December, Right. Not everybody's going to make it to Labor Day. Okay? So, you know, it's like the the thing that needs to happen, right, and, and just to keep this Baltimore thing going, is that 
that it, it has created a moment, a public policy moment where each one of these candidates, especially those candidates that have been mayors, candidates that have been governors, right? This is a chance to say, well, in our big city or in the city that I ran, we had situations, right? We had situations dealing with infrastructure. We had situations dealing with housing. We had situations dealing with crime. This is how we dealt with it. If I'm elected president, this is what I'll do, right? They would, those those candidates seem like that would be a natural advantage for them to say, you know, the, the stuff that Trump, instead of criticizing it, if I was president, I'll be doing something about it, right? I'd be using my bully pulpit, not to bully people, <laughs> but to actually make some things happen, right? I would, I would suggest to those who have been in executive positions, but not over municipalities or states, those that have served in the Congress to have some kind of idea about how they would address infrastructure, crime, housing in all of America's cities. Because the president brought up something, but since he doesn't have a plan, here's my idea, right? And it's not going to matter whether that city is majority black, majority white, majority Latino, doesn't matter. If it's an American city, then no person, not even the president of the United States, should have any reason to criticize it if we do what we are sworn to do. If we are do what we are obligated to do as as leaders and thinkers in public policy, right? I mean, that's I don't you know you can you can criticize Trump's character, but Trump's character is going to play out in the scenario that it is. He's he's shown who he is. As Dennis Green once famously said, "We knew who they were before we took the field." We knew who he was before he showed up, right, to run for president. And to finish this, Green's quote, to paraphrase it, we've let him off the hook. You want to crown him, crown him. But we knew who they were. We knew who he was before he got here, right? I mean, it is what it is, right? Um, so I just wanted to close that Baltimore piece out because I think that's important. I think it ties into what's going to happen these next two nights in the debates. You can set a public policy moment to really get people thinking about your campaign last shot or not. Right. And then deal with other issues that will come up because you're going to have enough time and, and the moderator is going to ask all the questions about all the issues. They can get in. Just a thought. We'll be back. So now that we've concluded the Baltimore piece, let me let me get into what I really wanted to talk about. And I, I can't really do it justice in 15 minutes. But 
Here goes. So people are upset because this white Republican dude, Mark Meadows, didn't defend Elijah Cummings, right? Mark Meadows is a Republican ranking member of the Oversight Committee. He's a gentleman from North Carolina, right? One of them. The reason why people are upset about that is because when they were having a hearing earlier this year dealing with President Trump and and um, some of the things he was doing. I forget exactly which issue they were talking about, but it was during an oversight hearing. And Rashida Tlaib went in, right, on the Republicans trotting out this one black staffer uh, that worked for Trump. And she's, she's, this lady has been a Republican for a long time, She's worked, she's had some experience in the federal government. I can't remember her name, uh, but she's, she, she's, she is like, she was a Republican, kind of like my aunt, Al, just kind of like my, my friend, Les Range. She was one of them kind of Republicans, you know, it was like, this wasn't a fad thing trying to latch on. I mean, this is, she, she, she's a, a, a real party person, Right. And so she got a job working with Trump. And so for whatever reason, I can't remember, and, and people that hear it will probably, you know, refresh me on or whatever. But the issue, whatever the issue was, had to deal with, I guess, race because they threw her out there, right, to defend the president and show you know, I guess the president didn't discriminate against people of color or whatever. So Rashida Tlaib went in, <laughs> ironically from Detroit, right? Since we're talking about the debate. Tlaib went in and basically said the Republicans were just doing a racist dog and pony show. It's like whenever, you know, it's like you call a Republican or call anybody racist, white, they trot out their black friend. Or they try out their black employee or whatever. She basically was making the accusation that the Republicans were playing the tokenism game to try to deflect on what the big picture was, right? Well, Mark Meadows got really, really upset. I mean, he was literally on national TV crying, right? He was crying. And he was, you know, he was taking his point of exception and personal privilege, whatever. And he was, and he was saying, you know, I, I take offense to me being called a racist and da, da, And he looks to Elijah Cummins and he says, you know me. You know I'm not a racist. And without thinking, Elijah looked back at him and says, I know who you are. I have, you know. Much to my detriment, I have told people that we are friends. <laughs> and I know that you are not a racist. I know that. Right? We don't agree on stuff all the time. 85% of the time, I think, is the actual number Elijah gave. But I don't think you're a racist. I don't believe that you're a racist. I know you. Right? But it wasn't like... Elijah had to sit there and think about it, or he just kind of sat there and then waited and gave a response later on. He 
when the Meadows said, you know about a racist, he said, yeah, bro, I know. Right? So that's a dynamic. So naturally, of course, people thought that the only Republican, if any Republican, that was going to say anything about Trump going after Elijah Cummins was going to be the gentleman from North Carolina, Mark Meadows. Mark said something three days later. Right? It was pretty tepid. Wasn't exactly the... Yeah. But his end was, as Trump kept tweeting and tweeting, he finally said that Elijah Cummings was racist. And he was like, then he could step and say, oh, no. Now I, I know both gentlemen and neither one of them are racist. Right? Hopefully... We can work some out. It wasn't as vigorous a defense as Elijah coming, stepping in right then in real time and saying, yeah, man, no, I, we good. You know, because even Congresswoman Tlaib at the back, when she saw the way Elijah Cummins was defended, she was like saying, well, I'm not saying you, Representative Meadows, are racist, but that was a, that was, that was a racist move, right? <laughs> I'm just to let you know that offends us. And I think that's where people don't get it, right? People are saying, well, you know, it's about as a heart, and you're saying that he's a racist and all this stuff. And I, 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 we don't agree with that. So let me break it down so you'll understand. When Donald Trump says the things that he says, that's offensive. Just like you were offended when Representative Omar made some comments about Jewish political contributions, right? Or anything that she says. <laughs> Y'all get offended. Y'all get offended. Y'all are offended by her mere presence in the building. Y'all offended, right? So it's like, newsflash, we are human beings too, there are certain words, there are certain things, there are certain actions that white people do that offends black people. Innocent one. Oh, he is so well-spoken. Oh, I wish I was in a room where I could ask how many black folks can raise their hand and tell me that a white person has said that to them. And all those white people, maybe a few, the ones that associated with me, I guess, they know that they just insulted me. Most white people don't. That know that they've insulted a black person when they say they're well spoken. If I speak the English language, if I grew up in the United States of America and speak the English language like you, why wouldn't I be well spoken? You know, what what what's so amazing about a African American being able to talk, right? Especially if they went to college, especially if they're in the public eye. What is amazing about that? Because I've never heard a white person say about a white person, he's so well-spoken. Now, maybe back in the day when we weren't allowed in the room, maybe then they were using that well-spoken term amongst themselves. But I've never heard it in my lifetime when they're talking about white people but they always say it about us or other people of color, right? Whether they're Asian Pacific Islander, Latino. 
Anyway. So what what people need to get is that if if you offend somebody, right? You all these Christian people that support this president, all these pastors that want to, these evangelicals that want to talk about. Jesus talked about if you offend somebody, fix it, right? Fix it. He even went so radical to say, if your eye offends somebody, plug it out, right? Fix it. If you are, if you are supposedly a man of God, which I question that about the president, but that's a whole nother conversation for another day. He purports that these Christian evangelical pastors want to profess that about him. Teach him to fix it. Teach your other Republican people that you support to fix it. Fix it. I'm sorry. Might be a good start, but y'all never apologize for slavery, so I might be pushing it about a tweet. Fix it. Right? But here's the other thing I wanted to get into, right? If you are a person of color and you legitimately have a white person as a friend, you will know how much of a real friend they are when crap goes down. See, I told you I was probably, I had to catch myself on that. When stuff goes down, right, who benefits you? And, 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 and they need to be such a friend that when black folks try to call you out, you need to tell them black, you need to tell them black folks where they can go and how they can get there, right? Because I think I had mentioned before, we had a situation where I was working for a sheriff, the last white sheriff Hines County has had. And this was the second campaign that the young man who eventually became the first black sheriff of Hines County was running in, right? And uh, one of the things that was very critical of me was because me being a high profile former black elected official, I was helping the sheriff. Now I worked for the sheriff. I was currently a deputy sheriff at that time, right? So I'm helping the incumbent. But you know, afterwards and all that stuff, when the black sheriff came in, I was like one of the first people they let go. You know, he let 200 some employees go, half of the work, half of the department, right? Because of loyalty to the previous sheriff, basically. And it's at will position, so whatever, right? It's a whole nother topic about right to work and unions and all this stuff. Anyway, <laughs> people were saying, well, the reason why he did that was because you were supporting this white person over the black person. And I had to break it down. I said, when it when it came down to me needing a job or me needing some help politically or me needing some help as a friend, that white man as the sheriff did more than any of you Negroes ever thought about doing for me. Ever. And I want you to think about it. I want you to reflect. Where were you when I didn't have a job? Where were you? When I was trying to find a place to stay, where were you when I needed somebody to step up for me in an election? Where were you? Most of you fell in that category with the election part. 
That's it. Because you saw some kind of benefit. But as far as making sure that I was alive, none of you Negroes stepped up for that. But this sheriff did. Even before he was the sheriff, we had a relationship. But now, even before I was an elected official, we had a relationship. Unlike some of you Negroes, right? And so I said, don't ever question my loyalty again. What you need to question is how loyal you were to me. And when you answer that question truthfully, then you know your place, right? Because, see, when it comes down to loyalty, it's not about color. It's about friendship. It's about being there when somebody needs you, right? It's about being there when somebody needs to be defended. It's about being there, period, right? Ain't about no tepid response. If somebody jumped on me and my friend defended me, guess what's going to happen when somebody jumps on him? I'll be willing to give my life for that person, political or otherwise, because that's my friend. This man, Elijah Cummins, said that in spite of the criticism I get, in spite of the funny looks I get, in spite of the political damage it may have on my career, right? My credibility. I'm friends with Mark Meadows. That is my friend. I know him. I will vouch for him. And Mark Meadows couldn't do that in return. Now, I'm sure Mark was like, you know, in private, hey, man, you know how it is and da, 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 you know how Trump is and blah, blah. And black folks, we, we are forgiving people. You can say that's a criticism. You can say that's an asset. Whatever it is, we're forgiving people. And we let people slide with that. But I want everybody to know we don't forget. And the next time Mark Meadows ends up in a frying pan, Liza might not come out right away. He might wait a day. He ain't going to leave him twisted because Elijah, in his mind, has made a loyalty pact with Mark Meadows. But Mark hasn't done that. And there's a danger in that. And that's and that's that's not that relationship. That's a relationship between white people and people of color throughout history, and especially in the United States. So there are bonds that are created by politics. There are bonds that are created by fraternities and sororities. There are bonds that are created by corporations. There are bonds that are created by hanging out at the same bar. However, your friendship was set up. The good times that created it. The test is when the bad times happen. When one of your friends is being attacked. When one of your friends needs your help, your defense. If you equivocate, if you hesitate, I question your friendship. I question your loyalty. Don't expect me to break my neck for you if you ain't willing to break your neck for me. Don't expect me to give my life for you if you're not willing to give your life for me. That's the reason why these folks in the military take these relationships seriously because they're willing to die for each other. 
Y'all stew on that. Y'all think about that. And um, until next time.